Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Before I get into to, uh, the word, this morning, um, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to do in this church is, is be conscious of, of your time. It's 1125. But another thing that we talked about just recently is, is making room, right? Making room to hear what it is that God's doing in, in people's lives. Um, when I first saw the video, I saw the video of the testimonies uh, yesterday or uh, maybe even Friday night or yesterday. Um, and I'm looking at each of these individual young people, and I'm like, who is that? <laughs> I'm hearing them talk, and some of them, I heard them say more in the video than I've heard them say in the years that they've been in this church. And I'm looking at them like, it's just not the same little girl. It's not the same young man. Um, and then uh, when they got up here and they all shared, it was even more so the case of, I'm hoping you guys have your spiritual lenses in, that you can see God is doing something. It's miraculous. It's special. It's a moment that you don't want to miss and that you don't want to forget. Um, as, you, as you looked at all of them and you could, I don't know about the rest of you, but I could sense that not only was there that individual thing that they were talking about, but there was this group connection. There was this, this thing that was happening between them. And I was thinking to myself, man, I hope the adults have what these young people have. I hope our life groups have what these young people are developing. You heard they couldn't stop. Like, you know, Samantha's saying, it wasn't just me that went up there. It was me and Janae that went up there. And, and Sam's like, it was me and Bella. And, and, we, and then uh, uh, Vanessa said, then we, we fell down to our knees. There's, there's not only the individual, but the collective. Yes. And that's what church is about. That's what the ministry of God is about, is that uh, Alicia got up here and it was so fitting for her to be the last one and said, uh, you know, I wanted these things for me. I went for me. But what did the Lord say? Pray for somebody else. You know, there's that individual side, but there's that fact that God is always going to remind us that it ain't about you only. There's others and there's a need. So special. So, so special. Um, I mentioned uh, about being conscious of time because I'm hoping that you guys will make room for me to share. I have something I want to share with you, but I promise to, to do my best micro machines uh, voice to get through it in a timely fashion to get you guys out of here. But I just feel like, uh, like Gary said, we need God. Amen. Amen. We need God. We need his word. Um, you know, Jericho being a week away, it's the backdrop for the message that I want to share with you guys. Um, We've been looking at missional community in the church for several weeks, and I think Jericho is the perfect reminder, and it's a bridge between being externally missional, right? That's what we've been talking about, like Alicia said. Uh, we have to be focused on others and focus outward and other families, other kids. Uh, a $205 investment for what you heard them talk about. And some either wouldn't or couldn't do that, and, and, and others came in to say, I'll make that investment for your children and for that young person. We'll drive them, we'll, we'll chaperone them, we'll do these things. This, this external uh, idea of being missional and doing things for other people. I, I saw my son, you know, as, as a father, I can't help it. I, I looked at my son, you know, sneaking in at 11 and a half instead of 12 and getting to go and I'm watching him praise. I'm watching him jump up and down. I'm watching him chase these other, you know, 12, 13, 15, 18, 19 year olds around. And, and I, was, I was so blessed and so pleased. And, and, and then somebody sent me a message. Hey, how come Nate didn't make it to the national basketball tournament in Las Vegas this weekend? And all I could post was, I posted back to him, this is why I sent a picture of my son praising and worshiping God. We don't got time for that. <laughs> 
So there's this outward missional focus, but what Jericho does is it bridges the gap between that and this internal missional work that God has to do in each every, every individual here. A lot of people see our conference and you see us out at the park and you see these t-shirts on and, and people walking down the street and other churches, they'll call me and the pastors will talk to me and say, you guys are so evangelistic and you're so missional and, and how can we get some of that in our church? And I laugh because I say to myself, that's what it looks like, but of all the things we do, this is the most internal thing that we do. It's a silent prayer walk. We're not handing out flyers. We're not out there for everybody else. We're out there for us as individuals. So what a good bridge it is to, to be leading into Jericho as we're coming to the end of this missional um, community type uh, series that we've been in. This is our ninth year of doing this conference. We've seen all kinds of individuals be delivered from all types of things. Yes. Um, things that are kind of deep and secret, things that people have been willing to testify about. We have people who just all types of addiction, cigarettes, I mean, all kinds of things that God has done. You heard these young people talk about healing, healing in our conference coming on nine years. Some of the people got that the week of or the weekend of your conference. Some people get it the weeks after, the months after, a year after the things that God began at that conference. You know, when, when we look up and, and Sam is in Germany, it's not going to be because God did that in one day. It's going to be because what he started at Elevate, he finished a year later when she went on her plane trip, right? Yeah. Amen? So that's what we've seen in Jericho. Something's immediate, immediate healing. She gets up there and, uh, and the knees and back doesn't hurt and something's in the future. It took a while for it to come to, to fruition. Um, as our youth come back from that Elevate and we enter into, as a church, this Jericho conference, um, what is it that stirs the spirit to move? What is it that, that stirs the spirit to inspire us, to deliver us, to bring about change, right? Because we all want it, right? We all want to see God do more of that and what he's done in the past. But ask yourself, what is it that makes God want to do it, makes him want to inspire, makes him want to deliver, makes him want to bring change into our lives? Is it the lighting and the sound system? Is it because there were Elevate posters and signs and neon lights and t-shirts and jackets? Is it because we're going to change the venue, we're going to be outside in a park, right? Is that what it is? Like, oh, that's what's going to inspire God to move in our lives. Is it the fact that you're gone away in a hotel for, for three days? Is that what God is using or needs? Is that what inspires God to do something in our lives? I don't really think so. I think there's two main ingredients and one essential element for God moving in our lives. The, the main ingredients are availability and pursuit. Yes. If you don't have availability and you are not willing to pursue, God is not going to do anything in your life. <laughs> there's not going to be any inspiration. There's not going to be any change. There's not going to be any just move of God. If you're unavailable and you won't pursue, nothing is going to happen. Make yourself available. For this conference, that means $205 and three days away. That's an investment. <laughs> that takes some rearranging of your lives. That takes some sacrificing of other things. So just make yourself available. You had to actually be there. There are people that would love to experience what you guys experienced, but you know what? They weren't there. Even us, as we watch the videos and we listen to the testimonies, we're moved, but if you're honest, something inside of you says, I wasn't there. I didn't get what you got. I'm happy for you, but it, it's not, it, it didn't happen to me. It happened to you. Availability. You have to actually get there. For Jericho, you got to pay $50 and you got to show up seven days in a row. One of the best testimonies I've heard are the people that said, I'm just going to commit to being there for seven days and we'll see what God does after that. What they're saying is, I'm going to make myself available. Amen. One of the two things I have to do is actually be there. And I'm going to do that. So once you've made yourself available, you can't just be there. You have to get moving and actually pursue God and pursue his blessings. You know, there's a lot of people who come to church. They've made themselves available, but they get here and they don't actually pursue God. You have to 
pursue him in worship. You have to open your Bible and read along when the pastor's uh, talking. You have to actually say, God, right now, in this place, in this moment, I want something from you and I'm going to pursue it. I'm not going to stay in the back. I'm not going to stay on the side. I'm working my way to the front. Yes. That's called pursuit. You could show up to Jericho, make yourself available, but if you get there and you don't pursue God, nothing's going to happen. There's two ingredients that you got to have, availability and actual pursuit. In your heart, are you pursuing God? Making it into the room isn't enough. It took them three days to get from the back to the front. It took them three days to be from singing quietly to losing their voice. In our walk with God, are we getting closer to the front? Are we getting closer to losing our voices? Are we getting closer to understanding the word because we open it more often? That's called pursuit. Many of us are wondering, why is, it, why is it not happening to me or why is it happening to other people? And if you break it down, availability and pursuit. Availability and pursuit. The one essential element, right? If you've got those two ingredients, the essential element that you still need is heat. Say heat. heat. Say fire. Fire. Say it's hot. It's hot. Say heat. heat. Say fire. fire. Say it's hot. it's hot. Those of you that didn't say anything, zero pursuit. <laughs> you can have the finest ingredients. You can mix them perfectly. But if you have no heat, you ain't baking no cakes. <laughs> you can have the best of the best. When we used to eat like non-vegans, I would watch somebody put Ghirardelli chocolate in the mix. And then not the, the cheap Walmart brand flour, that good flour. And they'd put eggs, giant ones. And then they'd put this oil, and again, not the cheap oil, the best oil. And they'd mix it all up, and when they'd step away, I'd stick my finger in it. Everything was there. But if you don't get any heat, if you don't put that thing into the oven, it's not going to actually turn into a cake, and nobody's going to really like it. So many of us, think about this for a second, we have come to church, we've learned to be available. We've actually begun to pursue, we're like, look, I'm here, I might as well actually pursue God. But then when it comes time to put a little bit of fire underneath it, that's where we stop and nothing happens. Nothing comes to fruition, nothing comes to fruitfulness, nothing actually gets baked. It's an essential element, we gotta have heat. The heat that God wants to place in our lives, it burns away sin and it only leaves righteousness behind. Yes. Be available, pursue God, and when he lights the fire, all unrighteousness in our lives is going to be burnt away. All the sin in our lives is going to be burnt away. It's going to be a hot, heated, difficult process, but what's left is beautiful Amen. and it's valuable. It's life-changing and it's able to affect the lives of others. Many of us don't want to make ourselves available. Many of us don't really want to do what it takes to pursue God. And then a lot of us are not going to volunteer for the fire. <laughs> We're not going to volunteer and put ourselves in a position to actually feel that heat because it hurts and it's difficult. I want to share this with all you young people that just came back from Elevate and for all us old folks that didn't get to go to conference. <laughs> God is not looking first and foremost for willingness. He is not looking first and foremost for desire. He is not looking first and foremost for passion. He is not looking first and foremost for surrender or obedience. He is looking for righteousness. We can be on fire. We can be passionate. We can be willing. I'll go to Germany. I'll pray for people. I'll be the first one to set up for Jericho. I'll be the last one to close down. But if you are not willing to be righteous, God does not want to use you and cannot use you. He says there's vessels for honor. There's vessels for dishonor. He says, listen, if you are a cup and you're filled with dirty and filthiness, even if I put my holy water into it, I can't have you serve to other people. I need righteousness. I need holiness. I need somebody who's willing to say, God, burn up everything that's not of you so that you can use me to change the world. There is a righteousness requirement for being embraced by God, for being welcomed by God, and for being used by God. At this very moment, you youth need to be asking yourselves, 
Am I willing to live righteously for Jesus? See, it's easy if you come back and we just say, go, we're so excited, go do it. Fan that flame into fire. But if we let it be unholy and it's just excited, it's not going to produce what you desire for it to produce. You adults in the room need to be asking ourselves, are we willing to allow God to light a fire that provides light into every area of my heart, every area of my home, and burns away the things that don't belong there? Are we willing to do that? Unrighteousness. There's two types of unrighteousness. The unsaved unrighteousness, where sin binds us and rules in our lives. Many of us remember that. Some of us may be there still. When I was unsaved, sin had me on lockdown. It ruled and reigned in my life. It was an unrighteousness of uh, lying, taking, sexual immorality, dishonesty, um, addiction, alcohol, weed, everything else. It was just, it ruled and it reigned and there was an unrighteousness of the unsaved. All of you have either been there or you are there and everybody you know has either been there or is there currently. The second type of unrighteousness is uh, the sin residue. You've been saved, but the residue of your sin is still making you unclean and unusable. I don't think I'm the only one, but I've been there too. I've been saved for 15 years now, and there are still areas of my life where there is a sin residue that is making me unfit for duty or unable to be used to my full potential by God. Thank God for the gospel, though. This, is, this could sum up the whole of the gospel. There are none righteous, no, not one. Yet in Jesus, God has made a way and he's made the impossible possible. There's a righteous requirement. You can't be embraced. You can't be welcomed. You can't be used by God. You can't be fruitful by God if you're not going to be righteous. Yet, there's none righteous. <laughs> That's a problem. But he gave us an answer. Yes. Amen. He gave us an answer to the problem. Colossians 2.13 says, you, me, us being dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses and wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. It was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Christian said, I got comfortable in church. I got comfortable with my Christianity to the point where it didn't even mean that much to me. See, he did what he did, and it has power, and it can affect change in our lives if we're aware of it. <laughs> if we're constantly understanding the fact that, listen, I only have righteousness because he nailed my sin to the cross. Yes. We have to deal with righteousness and unrighteousness. Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and it was weak in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I hope you caught it in there. What it said is there is a righteous requirement in the law. 
You have to be righteous. It's not optional. Your unrighteousness is going to lead to the death of others and the exposure of you at some point in time. If somebody is drinking contaminated water, they may look like they're being nourished at the moment, but eventually they're going to get sick and they're going to die and everybody's going to see it. He's saying, listen, it has to be clean. It has to be pure. It has to be righteous. And even if it takes a while to see, what you are made of is going to come out. It's a righteous requirement. Christ has to be in us. We have to be in Christ. In many ways, Jericho is the most concentrated dose of this spiritual process that we have in our church. There's this process of going from unrighteous to righteous, unsaved to saved, saved and having sin residue to saved and being thoroughly cleansed over and over and over again. It's a process. It's something that God is doing. But in Jericho, you get a concentrated dose of it. Seven days straight, you get to see like, oh, God, look at how you're making somebody flesh spirit. Look at how you're making something unclean clean. When you get three days of it, God can do this any time in your guys' life. But when you get a concentrated dose for three days, all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, yes. you're available, you're real. Imagine if you got a concentrated dose week after week after week because you're reading and you're praying and you're seeking and you're surrendering and you're repenting and you're asking for blessings and you're growing. It's so available. Concentrated dose. You guys know what that means, right? If you go to the, to, the, uh, to the grocery store and you buy bleach, make sure you don't buy the one that says concentrated. This happened in our house. Regular bleach, you can put like a cup of that inside of the washer. It's going to make your whites bright white. If you use the concentrated one and you put a cup in there, you'll almost kill everybody in the house. <laughs> we're, we're stumbling around. The kids look like they're drunk. and was like, what's going on? She bought concentrated bleach and she put a cup of it in the, in the washer, washing machine and we're, we're literally getting high in the house. <laughs> because it's concentrated. Listen, there's, there's this thing that God does, like a concentrated dose. That's what you're experiencing and what they had, right? That's what you heard right now. It's like, look what a concentrated dose of the Holy Ghost does. But you know what happened with Moses? Moses went up on the mountaintop. He had a concentrated dose. He was able to see God and talk to God face to face as a friend. He came down from the mountain and literally his face was glowing, concentrated bleach. He was glowing. People were like, his face is on fire. But you know what happened? It started to wear off and he started to look like everybody else looked because we always come down the mountain, right? How do we maintain that glow or how do we maintain that presence? Righteousness. One of the words the Lord gave to me to share with all of you this morning is about believing in something, holding on to it for as long as it takes to come into reality, even if no one else sees it or no one else believes in it. Gilbert, you told your story about praying in the spirit, and I'm glad your friend responded and responded well. But you know what? At the end of the day, it might just be, he might be the only one to take your story and encourage you. But what are you going to look like a year from now in the area of praying in the spirit? What are you going to look like five years from now in the area of praying in the spirit? It's going to be if you hold on to what God has begun in your life and you continue to pursue him in that area until it comes into full fruition. And the rest of us have areas of our lives where the same is true. You have to hold on to what visions God has given you and you have to pour yourself into them. We planted this church in 2008 and for three years, because as soon as we planted, God gave me this vision for Jericho. And for three years, I told anybody who would listen about Jericho and what it's going to be like and how we're going to walk and, and how we're going to be silent, how God is going to move. And people looked at me. You ever, you ever see somebody looking at you and, they're, and you could tell they're in complete disagreement with you, but they're trying to be nice? Like, they can't even keep the frown off their face. Like, they're like, yeah, that's probably going to work. Like, they're trying so hard to be encouraging, but they don't believe in you. And they don't believe in your vision. Every single person I talk to is like, man, that's going to fail miserably. People want to be in air conditioning. People want to be in comfort. Nobody is going to do a seven-day conference. <laughs> it's just, oh, and you want them to pay something to go? It's not going to happen. But I knew what God was telling me. So for three years, I held on to my dream. I held on to my vision. I believed that it was from God. And everybody I talked to, was like, something's wrong with you. But you know what? There started to be some doubt. Maybe I am crazy. Maybe this is stupid. Maybe this is just a, a, a freshman pastor thinking that he's got something that God wants him to do. 
In 2011, we started doing it. And don't get me wrong, 2011, it wasn't like everybody was like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Still, people were like, hey, hey, we tried. We don't think it's going to work. Nine years in, it's just like Elevate Conference, where you, for me at least, I say, man, it's well worth it. Hold on to the dream. Hold on to the vision. You've got people who were getting baptized because of something they heard at Jericho. People who are taking the next step in their relationship. People who are entering into all different types of things. And I'm thinking to myself, man, Lord, I'm so glad that I held on when it was just me and you. For any of you that have something that God's been speaking to you, hold on. Hold on to it. What is it that God's doing in your life today that he needs availability from you, pursuit from you, fire that you can endure, and it might take a decade to come into reality. What are those areas? What I wanna do with the rest of the time I have with you this morning, I wanna share two stories from the Gospel of Luke. They're short stories, and just to share a few things with you. They're for you, they're about you, um, these stories. First is in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus is talking in both of these stories, so pay attention. It says, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Second story, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he'll rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Amen. 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 So many good things in these two stories. Uh, um, let me just get into the ones that I wrote in my notes. <laughs> First and foremost, it all starts with prayer. Number one, it all starts with prayer. You probably forgot already, but if you look at these stories, Luke chapter 18, about this woman who wants justice, it says in verse 1, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. It's almost as if it has nothing to do with the story, but that's how the story starts. And then as soon as he says that, he gets into what she's asking for and who's going to do what and who's not going to do what. But the story starts with prayer. It's the backdrop. It's the foundation. And in the, the story in Luke chapter uh, 11 starts with what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that, at the same time, looks like it has nothing to do with this story of a man that needs these loaves of bread, but everything starts with prayer. Amen. Everything starts with Friday night praying in the Spirit. Amen. Everything starts with the second Sunday praying with understanding. Everything starts with, hey, when I come into worship, before I open my mouth to start singing whatever song is on the screen, if I have not stopped to say, Lord, I am here, yes. do you see me? 
I'm here for you. Lord, I want to connect with you. Now I will begin to sing. Everything starts with prayer. I love that, that uh, Matthew said when they got into their room, I think it was Matthew, um, maybe it was somebody else, but he said, in our room, Carmelo asked us from the start, what do we want to get? Let's not just go and start jumping around. Let's not just go and, and take our Bibles and our, and our notepads. Like, hey, before we actually go, let's pray. Let's talk about what it is that we desire to see God do. In our church, we've got the prayer course. We've got the prayer services. We have one conference, and it's literally called the Jericho Prayer Walk Conference. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, we are not the best praying church. We are not the most mature or established praying church. But we have figured out that nothing works without prayer. (laughs) And for me right now, that's enough. Nothing works without prayer. We want to hear from God. You guys know me. I like to have a plan, A and B. And I like to execute plans. Don't come talk to me about what it is that you think is happening if we haven't got a plan together and we're not executing the plan. If the plan is failing, then okay, we can do something differently. But if we're not even working from a plan at all, what are we talking about? I have a type A personality and God made me that way. I'm sorry, get another pastor. (laughs) But I don't like moving without talking to God and I don't like running without checking back in with God. One of my issues in the past has been God gives me a word, Vaughn, this is what I want you to do, and then I'm running and running and running and he's like, like, I wanted to talk to you again tomorrow and I wanted to talk to you again the next day. So we do have to check back in. We need to hear from God. Otherwise, we can be running in vain. Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? What that means is, listen, if God started by giving you a vision at a conference and speaking a word to you and telling you what he wanted you to do, that was spirit-filled move of God. You cannot just come home and do it the way you want to do it. It began in the flesh, it needs to be continued, or excuse me, it began in the spirit, it needs to continue in the spirit, it needs to be finished in the spirit. We can't just go out and buy Sam a ticket now to Germany. She's got to have a year of prayerfully seeking God, right, to get her to where she needs to be a year from now in 2020. This Friday night at at Praying in the Spirit, I had two revelations from from the Lord as well. So Gilbert, you ain't the only one. But I was so happy to see you here, front row, front and center, praying and seeking God and to know that you had other options and it would have been easy to say, Lord, I'll do it another night because I have something else going on. Ooh, don't get me started. But I got two revelations. The first, I heard the Lord speaking to me, something I, I kind of mentioned to you guys about holding on to your dreams, but it was much more specific for me. I felt God saying, there are some things in my life um, that I'm going to lay hold of, but it's going to take a long time. That's not an exciting word, is it? <laughs> I like Alicia's word where the Lord uses another person to say, it's on the way, girl. It's almost here. I literally felt God saying, like, we're talking decade, decades maybe. And he says, listen, a lot of things have happened fast in your life, and you're coming into a season where things are going to take a long time. Dang. But I like it. Reminds me that God's not going anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere. The second I felt the Lord saying Friday night was that he wants more from us in prayer. I could, uh, it was as if I could hear him and feel Jesus saying to us what he said to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He looked at his disciples, he said, could you not pray with me for one hour? We're here on a Friday night to pray, and I'm telling you, it's hard for people to pray for one hour. And that's how I could feel Jesus. I could feel him and hear him saying that. And it wasn't about, can you just do that on a Friday night when we have a prayer service? I felt like he was saying for me to share with all of you, could you not pray with me for one hour? Amen. Can you go to a conference for three days, but you can't pray with me for an hour? Can you come to church for, for two hours, but not pray with me for one throughout the week? 
difficult things to hear, but I believe it's because these two stories, they both start the same way. They're rooted and grounded in prayer. Everything that's going to happen happens because of the prayer that it starts with. The Lord starts to teach these amazing things in these two stories, these, these, uh, these parables. But before the teaching comes, the prayer comes. I think we see a lot of the breakthrough that we see at Jericho because you get seven teachers, seven preachers, seven speakers, pastors, all this word coming forth. But it has a lot more to do with the fact that somebody is praying for 30 minutes before the sermon. <laughs> you're silent for 30 minutes to an hour while you walk up and down the street and you're getting ready and you're spraying about one area all week long. And then the teaching and the preaching comes. It's about the prayer. It's not about just being there and hearing a message. Preparation. So number one, uh, it's all about prayer. Number two is the persistent pursuit. In the first story, it says that the widow was in the city. She came to him saying, get justice for me against my adversary. And he would not do it for a while. But afterward, he said to himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I'll avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. She's persistent. He doesn't even want to do it. But she will not stop. After a while, he hadn't done it and she didn't quit. She kept going, you got to help me, you got to help me, you got to help me. A persistent pursuit. The next person says that uh, he went to his friend and said, Loan me, lend me three loaves. The friend of mine has come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Will he answer him from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me. In bed, I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, this is Jesus, he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The dude just won't stop asking for bread. <laughs> he's persistent and he's consistent. Right here, we have to ask ourselves what Jesus is really trying to teach us in these stories. It'd be easy for us to look at this and say, if we just keep asking for what we want, we'll get it because God is going to get tired of hearing us ask for it. <laughs> I think a lot of people read these stories that way. God is saying, just keep asking, just keep asking. I want it, I want it, give it to me, I want it, I want it, give it to me. And if you do that like this lady did, and if you do that like this, this gentleman did that wanted the bread, if you just keep asking God, he's going to give you what you want because he's tired of hearing you ask for it. Many of us parents know what that's like. <laughs> We have given things to our kids, not because they need it or that they deserve it or that we want them to have it, but because we are literally tired of hearing them ask for it. Am I the only one? Shut up, take it. I don't care, go play the video game. I don't care, you can go with your friend. I don't care, they can come with us because we're just tired. I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying here. Most of us have realized in our prayer lives that that practically does not work. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you keep asking God for stuff that he has not given you? Because you think that by asking, eventually one day he's just going to say yes. It doesn't work though. You ask month after month, year after year, and it doesn't happen. So Jesus, why are you telling us that if these people, they were just consistent, they kept asking and they got what they wanted, but it doesn't work for me. It must be because Jesus is saying something different in these stories. Persistence does pay off. That's one of the points. But we have to have wisdom to understand that how we pursue certain things from certain people is going to have something to do with the outcome. Persistence does pay off, but how you pursue certain things and how you pursue them from certain people has something to do with the outcome. If you are pursuing a woman if you are pursuing a young lady and you don't shower or brush your teeth, it is going to affect the outcome of your pursuit. You can be as persistent as you want to be and you ain't going to get what you want. If you are pursuing a man and you don't involve food somewhere in that pursuit, you can be as persistent as you want to be and you ain't going to get what you want. Because how you pursue certain things and certain people will affect the outcome. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in these stories, he uses two men that were not men of God 
to be pursued. This, this judge and this friend, they don't appear to be men of God, but they're being pursued. And what is it that both of them wanted? What did the judge want? And what did the friend want? They wanted to be left alone. They wanted to be left alone. Stop asking me to get you justice and stop knocking on my door for bread. I want to be left alone. And they said it in both stories. Because they won't stop asking, because they won't leave me alone, I'm done with this. I'll give them what they want. You have a judge and you have a friend in these stories that want to be left alone. <clears throat> they don't actually care about the lady or the friend. Think about that for a second. He doesn't care about this lady and her justice. And his friend doesn't care about this other guy and the need for bread and his other friend that's coming over. Yet they still give them what they want because of their persistence. So, ladies, if you decide that what you want is a man, you can find one that only wants you physically and give them what they want and you'll get what you want. See how that works? Once you know what they want and you know what you want, you can give each other what you want and everybody's happy. Men, if, if what you want is a woman that will allow you to live any way that you want and all she wants is security, you can give her security if you're capable and then you can get to live however you want. Because once you know what they want and you know what you want, it's very easy. If this person wants to be left alone and you want bread, they will give you bread in order for you to leave them alone. If this person wants justice and what this person wants is to be left alone, they will give you justice just to be left alone. That's how the world works. That's one of the things that Jesus is teaching in this, this parable about being persistent, knowing what you want, what they want, and then being persistent, right? It's not the only thing Jesus is teaching, though. Last week, Pastor Reuben said, parables are used to reveal something, like what I just shared with you, that's being revealed, but it's also used to conceal something, where other people will just stop and go on with their business and take what's been revealed. They will not search for what's being concealed. What's being concealed in this, this parable is how important it is to know what God wants when you're praying. Because if you're going to pursue God, you have to know what he wants. <laughs> you can't give him what somebody else wants because he don't want that. Amen. Ladies, God's not trying to get in your pants. Amen. Men, God is not concerned with making sure you have a meal. Amen. He wants something different and you need to know what that is. Otherwise, your prayers are going to fall on deaf ears. Try to give somebody something they don't want. Give somebody something they don't want. It doesn't matter. They're not thankful for it. They're not grateful for it. And they're not moved to do something for you. If you know what God wants, I believe it will change the way that you pursue him. I think it's also important to know exactly who you are and what it is that you want from God. I think a lot of times, if we were to ask ourselves the question, because I think God asked me this question, hopefully he asked some of you guys this question. When you come to him with a request, has God ever said, do you really want that? Is that what you really want? We don't even know ourselves. We don't even know what we really want, but we're just like children asking for stuff. <laughs> think about how that works. If we don't know him or what he wants, and we don't really know ourselves and what we want, what fruitfulness is there in prayer? I've had the experience, and many people have testified to me that at Jericho, they'll spend a good portion of their week just trying to figure out what it is that they really want. <laughs> because they haven't slowed down long enough to say, God, what is it that, that I'm really struggling with, that I really need, where I really need breakthrough? What's, what's beneath the surface? And it takes time to actually figure it out. God, who am I? What's really going on in my heart and in my mind so that we can deal with that, not just the surface issues? Some of us have been struggling our relationship with God for a long time because we approach him 
like a man who wants to sleep with us, like a woman we want to control, like a parent that we want to hide certain things from and, and really expose other areas of our life to. We approach God like that, and he's like, I'm not like that. Don't approach me like that. Our God is righteous. Our God is good. He desires to bless us, but we have to pursue him and approach him like that, with that kind of understanding. When Moses, I mentioned earlier, when, when he came to, to meet with the Lord, and then later on when Joshua came to meet with the Lord, the Lord said to both of them, take your sandals off of your feet, the ground that you're standing on is holy. Don't approach me like you approach your friends and your family and your cousins and everybody else. You can't come to me like that. So it's the same thing in our prayer life, right? Like, you have to know whose house you're going to. You have to know whose altar you're going to. Like, if you've been to certain people's house where you see that basket when you come in the front door. It's not there just to be a basket. They expect you to take your shoes off and put them in there. It doesn't matter if you don't take your shoes off at home. You're at their house. It doesn't matter if this is how you talk to everybody. You're talking to God. Know who he is, how to pursue him, what he wants, what his love language is. We've been talking to some couples that have been reading these books called The Five Love Languages because they can learn each other's love languages. What is God's love language? What is he like? <laughs> For like the first 10 years of our marriage, every birthday, every, every Christmas, I buy Mary Nikes. Because that's what I like. <laughs> Like, girl, you look good in these kicks. And she's like, I want flowers. <laughs> I want to be taken to somewhere other than the movies. But I just keep approaching her the way that I want to approach her and giving her what I want to give her. And that's how we come to God. Oh, God, I showed up to church. He's like, that's cool, but you haven't talked to me all week. That ain't my love language. Oh, God, I volunteered for ministry. I did this and I did that. Yeah, but you're bound by money. You won't give me a dollar. That ain't my love language. And we wonder why our prayers seem to be falling on deaf ears. We're just not pursuing him right. Jesus says this in John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray to the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Listen to what Jesus is saying. We read scriptures like this. It says, Jesus said anything we ask, he's going to do it for us. I forgot who it was, but they said it earlier. You have to ask in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean that you give these crazy elaborate prayers of everything that you want and then at the end you say, in the name of Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Lord, I want you to give me more money and I'm not going to give you any of it. I want you to just bless my kids, but I'm not going to pay the $200 for them to go. I'm going to go to every night of Jericho, but I'm not actually going to help anybody else. Oh, Lord, you're going to do all that stuff. And in the name of Jesus, let it be so. Lord, I want you to bless this unholy relationship where we're having sex and living together, but we're not married. And I just know that you want us to be together, though. So, Lord, bless it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want you to give me a great job and a career, but I'm not going to go to school and I'm not going to invest into my future, but you can bless me because nothing is impossible for you in the name of Jesus. We may not be that animated, but that's how we live. And that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you ask in my name, I will do it to glorify the Father. If you're asking for things that do not glorify God, Jesus ain't going to do it. Then he says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you are being completely disobedient to everything that Jesus says we should do, he's not going to answer your prayers that way. It's not rocket science. It's very, very simple. Understand who you are approaching. Understand that you can't even get to him unless you are covered by the blood of Jesus. What that means is where we started earlier, I said that you cannot come to God unless you're righteous. He makes us righteous by covering us with his blood. 
if you know who you're approaching and how to approach and pursue him, and if you come in the name of Jesus, what that means is I'm covered in his blood. When I speak, the father hears the voice of his son. If Jesus wouldn't be asking for the things that you're asking for, stop asking for them. To hear the voice of his son asking for things that he knows is not a child of his speaking, that's offensive to God. I hope it's all coming together for you this morning. I'm bringing it down. This is it. It starts with prayer, and we're praying for understanding and for communication with God, right? Like, Lord, I just want to know. I want to understand you. I want to communicate with you. That means I want to speak and I want to hear. You know, when, when God spoke to me on Friday night, I had been praying in the Spirit for an hour, and then I said, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to be silent. Because I actually want to hear from you. And he's like, thank you. Got some things I'd like to say too. Mission accomplished, right? Like you prayed in the Spirit so that we could connect, and now you got to listen so that I can send my message back to you. It's one of the things they teach you. Maybe it's in the book, Five Languages of Love or whatever it is. But they teach you about communication that if you're only sending messages and you're not receiving them, you have not communicated. If you sent a message and it wasn't actually received the same way that it was sent, you have not communicated. It all starts with prayer. Then we have to be persistent in our pursuit of God for that release, right? Like we want to be engaged in this communication like for all of you young people that were brought to tears and God moved and God spoke to you and you felt him in a way that you haven't in a long time I can I don't make many guarantees but I will make a guarantee to you that he is excited about having a very similar experience with you tonight like not 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 next year not next year not next Jericho not next event none of that Right? He's like, man, I wonder if they're going to call me tonight. You remember, you remember how many of you, how many of you remembered like when you were young and like maybe you exchanged phone numbers or you met somebody at the mall or at school or something and then you would literally be sitting by the fold like, are they going to call? Are they going to call me tonight? Or after you talk to him, like the next day, like, are they going to say hi to me at school? Right? God is like, he's sitting there like, oh, we had elevated. It was so good. Are they going to call me? That's why we pray. That's why we communicate. He's excited. Like, like for those of us, think of conferences like going on vacation. I took Mary to, to Yosemite with the family and we had vacation. But we ain't going to Yosemite next week. We're going to have to have those mystical moments of waterfalls and mountains and trees. Like we wake up in the morning, she's just breathing in fresh pine smell trees. And she looks at her husband like, you manly man of God in the mountains. That's... That's vacation. She looked, she rolled over this morning and was like, man, is it time for church already? Get up and do something. Clean somebody, cook something. <laughs> I need that relationship and that love when we're in the mountains and when we're struggling to get to church on a Sunday. God wants that pursuit when you're at conference and when you're trying to figure out how to start school again this year, like all the time. It's got to be a persistent pursuit of God. And then we have to come to him covered by the blood of Jesus when we make our request known. It's got to be in the name of Jesus. Our desires have to be in line with his desires. And if they're not, go with his. (laughs) Does that make sense? I'm not telling you not to pray if your desires are not in line with God's. Just don't pray your prayers. Like, Lord, I know what you want is this. So that's what I'm going to pray for. This is what I want, and I'm going to keep it to myself for now, Lord. You already know anyway, but I'm not even going to speak it out there. Pray his prayers. When you start to pray in line with what God wants, two things happen. One, he answers, and two, you actually start to want those things. I was thinking to myself, as, as all you young people were up here and all the things that God is doing in your life, and I used to want my own life. I used to want my own things. There's a lot of things that I used to want, and I don't even want those things anymore. I'm thinking, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking, how can, how can you 
use our lives, Lord, to help that keep going? And how can we get that to happen to more people? And how can we get that to happen to adults? Because when you're praying in line with what God wants, you begin to actually want those things. In the past, even when I was first saved, my thoughts probably would have been more on the lines of like, man, Lord, you should be doing that for me. <laughs> How can you make my life better? When we start to play in line with what God wants, the windows of heaven will open and there'll no longer be people who say, I pray and nothing happens. If you have said that or if you know people who say that, I want you to think about this message and begin to ask yourself if they're doing these things. Do they know who they're praying to? Are they approaching him the right way? Are they being persistent? Are they being consistent? Are they praying things that are in line with what God wants? And I guarantee you, they will not be the kind of people that say, I pray and nothing happens. You will not be the kind of person that says you pray and nothing happens. Jericho's about dealing with unrighteousness that remains in our lives. And it prevents us from experiencing the fullness of God in our lives. So I'm gonna close with this thought. The woman in the first story said, get justice for me. Say justice. justice. The second story, it says that he has a friend, went to him at midnight, asking the friend to lend him three loaves. And he says, I have nothing to set before this person that's coming to me, right? Some of us right now are in need of justice. I'm not going to pretend that some of you haven't been wrong, some of you haven't been offended, some of you haven't been hurt. You can play. It's going to be playing for a while. <laughs> some of you are in need of justice. Why don't we raise our hands? If somebody's wronged you, if somebody's hurt you, if somebody's done something, and, and right now maybe one of your prayers is you're asking God for justice like this woman, would you raise your hand if you feel like, God, I need justice. I need help. I need you to avenge. I need you to make something right that's wrong. I need you to fix something that I can't fix. That's been, it's not within my power. Somebody else did this. Amen. Look around. There's people who are looking for justice. God wants us to have that justice. But it's going to come from him and it's going to come his way. Listen to what I'm telling you. God wants you to have that justice. You might have been praying for it for a long time and you're wondering, well, maybe God doesn't want this. He wants you to have it, but he wants to give it to you his way and in his time. All you have to begin to do is start praying for an understanding and alignment with what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. He wants to give you justice. He's not withholding it. But he's not going to just give it to you because you keep asking. He wants to say, listen, I want to show you how I bring justice into the world. I could just give you what you're asking for, but that's the unjust judge. That's how he works. He's tired of hearing you, so he just says, give her what she wants. He says, that's not how I work. I bring justice, but I bring it through crosses. I'll bring justice into your life, but there will be a cost and a sacrifice that has to be paid. The second story with this man and the bread, I love this one. It says that he came at what time? Midnight. How many of you are praying those Hail Mary midnight prayers? Like there's absolutely no reason why God should do this because you waited to the last minute and now you're begging for help. This guy knew somebody was coming over. This guy knew that he didn't have any bread in the house. And at midnight, he goes to somebody else that worked hard. He goes to somebody else that's taking care of his family. He goes to somebody else that has bread in the drawer and he says, help me, help me at midnight. And why? Not acknowledging how he got in that situation, only because he doesn't want to be exposed when somebody shows up and says, why don't you have any bread? This is so good though. One of the things that Jesus is revealing in this parable is that he is the God of the midnight hour. It's okay. It's not good that we're in this position, but he's not going to turn his back on us. He's not going to be like this, this so-called friend who told you, turn away. It's your own fault. Get out of here. And the only reason he's going to give you the bread is because you keep knocking. That's not our God. Our God is the God of the midnight hour. He says, first of all, I'm not going to tell you to go somewhere else. I'm going to open to you. But before I give you this bread, we're going to have a talk about how 
I'm going to change your life and make you the type of person that's not a midnight hour Hail Mary prayer. I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to give you more bread than you could ever want. You're going to be the one that people come knocking on your door for bread. He says, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. Midnight hour because he didn't want to be exposed. So my prayer for each and every one of you as we get ready, we come out of one conference, we go into another conference. Pastor Ruben said that it's ordinary times in certain uh, Christian calendars, right? So not just conference time, but ordinary times that we would be the people who lead with prayer and that we would be a people who are persistent. I thought it's great that on this Sunday, all of you young people are here. What about next Sunday? What about the Sunday after Jericho? I thought it was great that there was a need to be met and the church stepped up and met the need. What about next month? What about the next need? Let's lead with prayer, but let's be persistent. Let's be consistent. Let's allow for the fire of God to produce righteousness in our lives. And he'll do it. He will do it, I promise you. But let's approach him this morning, this afternoon, (laughs) the way that he wants to be approached, not the way we want to approach him. Amen? Let's stand. So, Lord, we thank you this morning for everything that you've been doing, everything that you've been up to, Lord God. We thank you for the powerful testimonies, Lord, from the young people, Lord. We didn't even hear from their chaperones all the things that you were doing in their lives and all the ways that you were using them, Lord. But we pray for for these young people, Lord, for a fire that will last, Lord. You, You give us stories in your word about seeds that spring up, Lord, but they don't make it. Shoots of green, Lord, and it looks like something good is going to come, but the enemy comes and steals it or it gets scorched by the sun. We pray for amazing fruitfulness in their life. We pray for a fire that's going to last more than a short period of time, Lord, but that it would run deep within their souls, Lord God, and for the rest of their lives, that they would never look back at any stage of their life and say that I was without God. From this moment forward, that they would always be with you, always be in your presence, always be able to find you, endure the difficult seasons, endure times of maybe even silence from your throne, Lord God but a testimony of always being with you and in your presence and knowing how to find you, knowing how to pursue you, knowing how to come to you in righteousness, Lord God, in purity and holiness provided by your son, Lord God. We pray for the adults in this place, Lord, that we would pursue you consistently, Lord, that we would not approach you the way that we approach others, That we would take the time to learn who you are, what you desire, what is your love language, uh, how do we take off our sandals, how do we approach on holy ground, how do we make prayers that are truly in the name of Jesus, in line with your desires, that our desire would be to glorify you, Lord, when you answer our prayers. Continue to show us what's different about you, Lord. You are a true friend who provides for us because you love us, Lord God. You are a righteous judge who gives to us what is due to us and withholds what is not. More of you, Lord, less of us. Continue to have your way, Lord God. Continue to have your way, Lord Jesus. As we close, just two two questions. Number one, if you're not saved, and you want the righteousness of God, you want to be covered by the blood of Jesus, that's the only way to come into the presence of God. If you have not said, I am a sinner, and without your blood, Jesus, I can never come to God. Jesus says it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anybody, they can be sitting in any church. They can be good people, doing the right things, giving everything that they have. But if they have not accepted Jesus, they are going to spend eternity in hell. That's what Jesus says. And he says it's a simple decision to say, I want to be forgiven. I want Jesus. If that's you, 
Would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? Not saved, but want to be? Going to hell, want to go another direction? We've all come in the same way. Anybody? Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. So the only other question I have is for those that want to continue to learn how to approach the throne of God. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Jesus, when he said to his disciples, could you not pray with me for an hour? It's not because he, he needed their prayers for God to hear him. It was because he was trying to teach them how to approach the throne of God. His father, he wanted to show them something. It wasn't that he needed them. He was trying to tell them, if you ever find yourself in a moment like the moment I'm in, let me show you how to approach our father. If that's you and you just want to say, Lord, continue to show me how to approach you, would you begin by coming to the altar this morning? And I believe that he'll show you. He'll show you a little bit more every time. Lord, we need you. We love you. We know that you won't relent. We know that you have more for us, but you are actually requiring more of us, Lord God. As we come, Lord, we kick our sandals off of our feet. We leave behind us anything, Lord, that's not of you. And we ask for you to search our hearts here at this altar this morning. We ask for you to reveal to us and speak to us, Lord. You're the God who speaks. You've said in your word that these other gods, they don't have mouths that speak. They don't have hands that reach. They don't have ears that listen. But you do, Lord. Speak to your sons here. Speak to your daughters here, Lord God. We're open and we're listening, Lord. We want to get our prayers in line with what you desire, Lord. We want to follow your lead. Jesus, we, we've, we've come to follow you. Show us how, Lord. Show us how, Lord. Have your way, Lord. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.